Tennessee football has its quarterback commitment for its 2024 recruiting class. Meanwhile, the Vols spring practice uh, continues as it proceeds forward to its spring game in less than two weeks. Welcome in to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer, along with Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Uh, we'll be talking uh, spring practice updates in the second half of this pod, but first, development on the recruiting front. Last week, Tennessee got a commitment from class of 2024, so that will be this this ongoing recruiting class for the upcoming signing day in December. Got a commitment from four-star quarterback Jake Merklinger, uh, Merklinger, correct, Adam? <laughs> We're, we're, let's go with that. I believe it's Merklinger. We're <laughs> going to go Merklinger. with that. Yeah. Well, anyway, more important than maybe the pronunciation of his name or the credentials, he's a he's a four-star quarterback, had offers from multiple other SEC schools, including Georgia and Auburn. Uh, he's out of Savannah, Georgia. He's a top 100 prospect, and he's committed to Josh Heupel's class. Adam, your, your impressions of Tennessee's uh, latest quarterback commitment? Well, I mean, it's a good sign overall. The fact that they are this is this is now a trend. They got the arguably the top quarterback in the in the class this past year with Nico. They bring in as far as twenty four seven composite has the number six quarterback in in this next class. Um, the fact that they could do those back to back that's a trend and that's good. That means Nico is not a one hit wonder in terms of recruiting. The shorthand of this is. I'm curious to know how this affects what comes, you know, in the next season when, when Nico would start, you would think when Merklinger would come in in the 2024 season, and then what happens after. So much of what judging quarterbacks now is how that's different from a few years ago before we had the transfer portal and before we had NIL and all that, is that used to you could say, okay, you get a quarterback every year, you carry four quarterbacks, and generally speaking, everybody sort of stands in line and waits for their turn. It doesn't always work out like that. You have a sophomore that will start sometimes or a junior, but usually you sort of wait your turn. It's different now. You kind of have to judge these quarterbacks' uh, personality to know how long they'll wait their turn. You know, Nico comes in, and I don't think he's going to start this year because I think Joe Milton starts. E- even look after Merklinger's class, and Tennessee is uh, – after a few quarterbacks in the 2025 class, one of them is George McIntyre at a Brentwood Academy. He's a five-star. They'll go up against Alabama and Georgia and some others for him. Does that mean you have less of a chance to get that guy in the next class? It's a good problem to have to continually be in the running to get these four, high four-star and five-star quarterbacks, but it's such a juggling act now because you, to some extent you can't even go into the transfer portal as much as you would want to because you don't want to scare off of what – scare away a commitment or a player that you already have on campus. And, you know, that's kind of why Tennessee only has two scholarship quarterbacks in spring practice now. And, you know, after this next season, they're going to have to make that decision again of whether they add one to Nico and Merklinger or they go into spring with with those depth issues. I I think, as as you pointed out, it's a really good sign – that even though you have this much heralded quarterback as a freshman, that you can get another guy, a high-ranked quarterback in the next class. Um, I think that's hard to do, but I think we always we have to keep in mind that Tennessee just went eleven and two with transfer quarterbacks, so that option is always out there. 
and I would not hesitate to use it. And I don't think Josh Heupel will. I think anytime you can get a better quarterback, you have to do it and worry about the fallout later. So we'll see how it plays out. But I don't. I just would never, do, you know, ignore what's coming in the transfer portal. Yeah, you want to recruit a guy. You, I think there's still that mindset. You get a top quarterback in each class. What UT has done now, back to back. But you, you always got to be thinking about that transfer portal too. Yeah, when I see a quarterback of this caliber commit, you know, on the heels of of the number one ranked recruit recruit in the nation, Nico committing, it's almost like if you you wish you could stagger these out a little bit more and think, oh, you know, it's too bad that that Merklinger couldn't come in a, a year later, um, where where Nico might be a little more veteran, and he says, okay, if I wait a couple years, then then I'm the guy. But you obviously for depth re- depth reasons, you can't do that. You have to keep adding quarterbacks. And you hope that guys stick around, um, but you know that that's just the the way of the world now. And, and I know coaches want to bemoan quarterbacks and, and players on down the line transferring, but it's just sort of the setup. You know, no one wants to come in and sit and, and wait two or three years anymore to play, particularly when there's no guarantee um, that that waiting around is going to give you the job in the long run anyway. I mean, these players know the coaches can bring in transfers too. So they want to play. If they don't see quick opportunities, they're on the move. And and as a coach, the best you can do is just keep signing top recruits every year, and and the best ones will play. And and the guys that don't play, if they want to move on, you let them move on. Yeah, there is sort of a cat and mouse game with this because we look at uh, the guy that was here before Nico Taven Jackson, a a four star um, who sort of saw the writing on the wall and said, I, I think they've recruited over me. Uh, Nico's the guy now, so I'm going to go uh, find my opportunity elsewhere. And he uh, he went back to his home state and uh, and transferred to Indiana. And that's it's it's going to sort of be a two way street here. You're going to have players that are trying to judge whether or not they're on the path to starting sooner than later, and you're going to have teams that are judging mostly in the freshman year of these players. And now most of them enroll early, which uh, Nico did. Merk, Merk Linger will do. He'll be in spring practice a year from now. You're, you're going to have teams judging these guys off basically a full year in the system to decide whether or not they they think that player is going to be somebody who can start sooner than later. And and so while the two are sort of feeling each other out, you're going to have a whole lot of movement um, at that position, and you're probably going to have depth concerns at a lot of places. There's a market out there for for – quarterbacks who don't mind being reliable backups or third string guys, but are capable enough to play at a power five. Most quarterbacks are not going to admit to themselves that they're that guy, uh, but there is certainly a market out there, especially in the top, you know, 10, 15 programs in the country to be a reliable veteran backup. Um, I'll say, you know, the fact that Merklinger is coming here, knowing there's a five star a year ahead of him, does tell me that he's either super competitive or he thinks he can beat out Nico um, or he's, uh, you know, somewhat mature in the fact that he, he thinks there's a value to coming and waiting his turn and learn and being in the system for a while. Um, you know, long-term there's a value of waiting to play in UT's offense. Uh, look at Joe Milton. The, that's a guy that, uh, was not ready to play at this level uh, when he when he came in and the, this whole system was tossed at him. 
But you fast forward, a, you know, a year, year and a half after that, and he, he's, he starts to look like an SEC quarterback. So um, if guys can wait long enough and develop in the system, there's a value to, you know, getting your turn a couple of years after you arrive as opposed to, you know, getting tossed in there as a freshman and being shell-shocked. I really think this is a testament to uh, Tennessee's success under Josh Heupel. Um because maybe guys want to be a part of it. You want to be a part of a winning program and they're willing to take their chances, certainly more apt to take their chances with a good program than one that's not so good. I marvel at Georgia um, that it's got three, four or five star quarterbacks who are all lined up to compete for Stetson Bennett's job, but they were all there last year too. I mean, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton, these were all, acclaimed quarterbacks coming out of high school and they're they're hanging in there brock vandegriff it seems like he's been there three or four years he hasn't been there that long but he's never really played but he's still hanging out at georgia and that seems to be where he wants to be so it's better to be a successful program than a not so successful one like florida right now which seems to have avoided quarterbacks so much so that it's taking a Wisconsin quarterback, uh, Graham Mertz, who's no relation to Jake Merklinger, though the last names remind me of one another. Well, it's it, it's funny that you bring up Georgia, uh, John, because uh, Merklinger chose Tennessee over Georgia, also Michigan State and North Carolina. But this was, at the end, my understanding is this was, this was more of a two-horse race between Georgia and Tennessee. Uh, Merklinger's from Savannah, Georgia. Georgia already has a quarterback committed, uh, a four-star, and George in that same class, the 2024 class, and Georgia is also in the running for the number one quarterback of that year, sort of the Nico of this next year. Um, so it, it it wants to Georgia wants to sign two quarterbacks in this class and just let them battle it out, knowing that one of them will eventually transfer. Um, and so Merklinger looked at that and said, I, th- I think I'd rather be Tennessee's only quarterback in the class rather than one of two at, uh, at Georgia. And so it, d- it does speak to the fact that Tennessee is in contention for these guys. I, 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 it's certainly a good thing that Tennessee got the guy when they could, because uh, in that class that Merklinger's coming in the 2024 class, 10 of the top 15 quarterbacks are already committed. So this was sort of Tennessee's best chance to get an elite caliber guy. Yeah, that's why. That's maybe the biggest reason why this commitment was notable to me is is what you just said, Adam. If if they were going to sign a high ranked quarterback in this twenty twenty four class, their their opportunities were dwindling. Now, of course, guys can flip their commitments and and the whole bit, but uh, a lot of times with with top level quarterbacks, they make their commitment and and they don't often waiver. The the deal is done. And and so as far as quarterbacks that Tennessee could have gotten, Mark Winkler was, was probably the, the best uncommitted prospect on the market. And I think also, you know, as you as you aim to keep up with the Joneses or keep ahead of the Joneses in the SEC, you pull up a list of top 10 quarterback prospects for 2024. Many of them are committed to SEC schools. And now Tennessee has itself a top 10 quarterback prospect out of that recruiting class. The other thing I was curious about, does it mean anything to you? Do you, do you guys think it, it, it carries any significance that 
Merklinger is, is, is a top prospect out of the state of Georgia. I mean, when Jeremy Pruitt was here, he made Georgia a, a huge priority um, for recruiting. And I don't think that was really surprising. It, it produces a lot of prospects, a lot of top talent. Not only that, but Jeremy Pruitt had coached at Georgia. Uh, he's from Alabama. He knows the terrain. And he really recruited Georgia very, very hard. He almost treated it like it was in-state recruiting. And to some degree, he had some success with that. Other times, you know, Tennessee uh, finished with like some runner-up finishes for top prospects commitments, and you don't really get anything for a runner-up commitment um, on the recruiting trail. But is it is it significant to you guys at all that, that Tennessee went into Georgia and, and got, you know, a top 10 quarterback prospect nationally, a top 100 prospect overall, um, and, and that he's coming out of, out of this neighboring state? I think it could be more significant if Merklinger can bring other Georgia players, uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot there, bring other players from that area uh, to Tennessee in, in this class. Sometimes quarterbacks have that, uh, have that power. Um, I, I, just judging him individually, I don't think the Georgia part jumps out to me quite as much. Like I mentioned, Georgia, the school already, already has a quarterback commitment. They're trying to get another one. Um, that they wanted Merklinger, but Tennessee beat them out for him uh, for the reasons that I mentioned. Um, but I think quarterbacks, you always judge individually. I think it's more significant to be a, to be an elite quarterback school in recruiting, uh, for years, Ohio state has just, you know, landed elite quarterbacks every year. Oklahoma did that for quite a while. Um, and still doing it. Um, Alabama has done that for a while. Um, you want to be one of those handful of schools that if you're a top five, top 10 quarterback in a recruiting class, you automatically look at Tennessee. And it's somewhat, it, it, some of that is because they were 11 and two last year, but it's more so just, it's the offense. It, it's the offense. It's Hendon Hooker. It's some of the hype that Joe Milton has got. It's the fact that they signed uh, Nico in his past class. It's that Josh Hopple is coaching. And uh, that's more significant to me that Tennessee is looked at as an elite quarterback school now. Yeah, I just think of Tennessee as being able to recruit regionally very well. And George is certainly a prominent part of that region. So it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me that it can get a top court, uh, prospect out of Georgia or, or Alabama. And remember, those schools, Georgia and Alabama, both are getting the best players in the country. So if they can get the number one quarterback from wherever, California, say, as Tennessee did this past recruiting cycle, then they don't need a guy from Georgia. So I, I think you can pick off guys from a state, even though Georgia is so successful. Uh, and to Adam's point about the quarterback being able to maybe bring more uh, prominent players with him from his home state, I think. I think that's more of a challenge. Did did Harrison Bailey, a former four star, bring any Georgia players to Tennessee with him? I actually think he did. Yeah, I, I, and I think that was part of the, in hindsight, that was part of the prize of signing Harrison Bailey. He he didn't pan out for for Tennessee, um, but yeah, I do believe he he brought along some guys with him uh, during that that recruiting time. In fact, I think Ramel Keaton. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, was was yeah he was high school teammates yeah. with Harrison Bailey. Ramel Keaton is is still here. Harrison Bailey is not. So I, I do think 
Yeah, there there is some some truth to what Adam is saying. Is sometimes you you get a quarterback in that class, uh, you know, particularly if you're not doing it at the last minute, you get a quarterback in your class with eight months to go till signing day, and let them be a, a pied piper a little bit uh, for some other guys to to follow in behind them. And, and for those wondering, like, can this can this kid play, or how does this kid play? Um, I, I've 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 asked a few people that I trust that know know about this kid more than I do, um, and the uh, what I've gotten back is that he's obviously not as good as Nico, um, you know, who he is at that level, but he's not as good as Nico, not as athletically gifted as Nico, um, but he's better than Taven Jackson. That That's sort of the description that I've gotten. Um, in terms of uh, style, he's more Hendon Hooker than Joe Milton. Um, you know, N- Nico's got a little more Joe Milton in him because Nico is a physically big guy, tall guy, um, got a cannon for an arm. I've seen it in spring practice quite a bit now. So Nico's a little more Joe Milton. Uh, this kid is a little more Hendon Hooker. Uh, a phenomenal touchdown to interception ratio this past season. I think thirty-two to two. Um, his junior junior season in high school um, runs it pretty well, but but not you know not an elite level, but can run it. Uh, throws it at a high level, but not an elite arm. So I do like that maybe looking at it from a, a year from now uh, because I think we'll see sort of two contrasting styles a little bit. And, uh, you know, you can be in the Nico camp or the Joe Milton camp this year. Next, next spring you could be in the uh, Nico or, or Merklinger camp or whoever they add in the portal. Maybe we'll have three camps next year. All right, let's, uh, let's change gears here and, and get the, uh, the latest on the spring practice front. Of course, this is all leading up to the April 15th spring game. Uh, tickets on sale now. But, uh, Adam, uh, Tennessee recently had a, a closed scrimmage. And, and, of course, you know, when that happens, um, you know, in, in your position, oftentimes you uh, have to rely heavily on what the coach tells you happening at scrimmage and and you hear some accounts otherwise but uh you know to a certain extent you gotta you gotta take it from the coach's mouth and um and you're you're right up over the weekend uh, you mentioned that the, the defense maybe would have won the scrimmage which who really cares who you know whether offense or defense wins this wins an april scrimmage um i think maybe more interesting um are individual players guys that stood out uh, i know you you highlighted squirrel white um, the wide receiver who is is going to be stepping in and taking those snaps, maybe that Jalen Hyatt left behind. So who who are, who are some of the the guys that sort of stood out um, from what you've heard from from Josh Heupel's recap? What what were some of the top reads off that scrimmage? Uh, defensive line, Elijah Simmons has been really good. Um, he uh, Josh Heupel likes his young uh, edge rushers. We, we've asked him a lot about the secondary, how much better it's getting, and he usually gives an answer of, you know, that it's gradually getting better. It's progressing slowly or something. Um, <laughs> to give you a ton of optimism. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I may have said it on here on the pod. I can't remember, but I certainly said before the scrimmage that the defense would win would win that one. They, they Usually in fall camp or spring practice, defense uh, outshines the offense in the first scrimmage. Um, especially on a team that's built so much on tempo and uh, rhythm. A lot of Tennessee's offensive line was was injured this past scrimmage. Uh, a couple of running backs were out, including Jabari Small. Brew McCoy is not a wide receiver. So it's sort of hard to judge 
you know, how how units did, how teams did. Squirrel White stood out quite, quite a bit. Um, for one, he's just, I mean, Squirrel has had a really, really good spring. You can even see it um, in the time that we've been out there and seen him, but you can also see um, how close Josh Hopple follows him around. Um, you, you can tell the the wheels are turning in Josh Hopple's mind about how he can use Squirrel. Um, we've sort of talked at the for the UT press corps. This has been a, a somewhat of a topic with a number of guys I've talked to about: Is it going to be Squirrel at slot receiver, or is it going to be Dante Thornton at slot receiver? Thornton is the Oregon transfer. Um, we saw more of Thornton at today's practice. Squirrel did really well in in the in the spring scrimmage the other day. Um, the easy answer is, well, why don't you just put them both out there? But they have not moved Thornton out of slot yet. Eventually, they might. Uh, but right now, those two guys are playing the same position, and they're just not going to be out there at the same time at the same position. So somebody's going to have to move. It would be Thornton. Um, you know, I had somebody suggest to me today that Thornton's better than Squirrel. So Squirrel will just be sort of a situational guy, um, that he's not going to be a starter. I have a hard time buying that because I think Josh Hopple saw late last season that Squirrel can make plays, and every offensive play caller wants guys that can just make plays that scare the defense, and I think Squirrel White showed enough of that late in the year. Well, I, I think Squirrel White will be all SEC this year, so I'm, I'm not putting – yeah, I'm not putting Dante Thornton ahead of – I do think uh, Josh Hypel. I, I know – when it's a closed scrimmage, Adam is out there, but he's dependent upon the coach and on his on his assessment. I do think Josh Heupel is more reliable in that role than a lot of coaches. I remember when LSU, Les Miles was the coach at LSU, and they had a scrimmage, and he the media asked him about a running back, how well he performed in in the scrimmage, and. And uh, Les spoke glowingly about his performance. However, as it turns out, the running back was actually injured and didn't take part in the scrimmage. <laughs> but I guess Les meant if he had played, he would have done really well. Yeah, when I was covering Missouri uh, many years ago, it was it was tough on those closed scrimmages because you'd ask Gary Pinkle for you know who stood out. The, the problem with that was. Uh, Gary Pinkle didn't know the names of more than about 20 of his players um, during the last couple of years there. You know, he might know a few numbers, but names, no. So you you you, you were not getting a very reliable account of, of who stood out there, too, because yeah, uh, Gary Pinkle did, couldn't couldn't feed you any names because he didn't know their names. But I'm, I'm just thankful I see select periods of Tennessee's practice. I know some in the SEC are 100% closed in, in spring. Uh, t- today's practice, we watched, I don't know, about 20, 25 minutes. Um, and they did do some red zone passing. Uh, I have some video of it, but uh, after about 20 seconds of video, Josh Hopple looked at the sideline and did the uh, sort of throat slash, you, you know, which means cut it off. <laughs> Don't feel it. It wasn't just me. It was three or four other guys beside was me. Was your but, phone uh, confiscated, Adam? Did, uh, you I, still I have ran possession as of that? fast as I could to the parking lot and tried to – tried to edit that video tried to publish it as quickly as i could could not get it up um it was dante thornton catching a a 15-yard touchdown from joe milton against uh he was defended by a a graduate assistant i believe 
Well, you, you just spoiled the surprise there. Yeah, Tennessee <laughs> I, I did. Will, it has did. no chance against Georgia. Uh, John, you mentioned you, you've got uh, squirrel, squirrel White on your preseason All-SEC team, I guess, if the John yes, Adams I did. Pre, yeah. preseason honor roll. Sure. Uh-huh. We, you know, you've, you've covered college football now for 272 years. Um, is Squirrel on your all-name team? I know you loved uh, uh, Meat Cleaver. The the former uh, Georgia player from from way back when, right? Meet Cleaver Weaver. Uh, how does Squirrel stack up with uh, with some of your all all name teams? Uh, yeah, I think Squirrel's right up there, and it's such a it's such a uh, a complimentary nickname for his, for how he plays and what his position is because you see Squirrels. I mean, they're so quick, they're dramatic change of directions. Now a squirrel can just avoid being hit by a car before next season. I think he'll do great. But but Meat Cleaver is still my all-time favorite for Georgia's on their 1980 national championship team. And I remember interviewing him, and he really, he really fit that nickname just in size. He was just so he just was built like a boulder. And you knew you no, how's anybody gonna move him? And he was pretty stoic and didn't smile a lot. I was personally scared of him when I, when I interviewed him. One of my favorite uh, name players I ever covered was about uh, 15 years ago at uh, uh, Troy University. The Troy Trojans had a linebacker named Bear Woods. Uh, <laughs> Bear, <laughs> Bear, looked like, Bear Woods looked like what you would think he would look like. He looked like a Viking. Or maybe like part grizzly bear, big beard, long, long, shaggy hair, face painted, looked the part. Bear Woods ended up with the uh, Toronto Argonauts and uh, maybe Montreal Alouettes of of the CFL. Squirrels and bears and meat cleavers. Oh my! Uh, Adam, we're we're a week and a half here from uh, Tennessee's orange and white game. Uh, we, we've we've talked at length kind of about the quarterback situation and and some of uh, you know what we'll we'll be looking for there th- earlier this spring, but you know as you kind of project forward here a week and a half away, are there any position groups or players that uh, you know you're you're kind of particularly interested in seeing in something resembling game action in in the spring game? The most interest I have is in the secondary. The problem is I don't think we're going to have a determination of what's going to happen there in the spring because even the spring game or even in practices right now, they'll they'll play, you know, six guys at corner and four guys at safety, and that's what they'll do in the spring game in any scrimmage. So we're not going to be able to, to determine who's where. Um, of the ones that we can make somewhat a, a, of a determination, I, I want to see an offensive tackle where we leave spring. Um, John Campbell, the – Miami transfer uh, has been at left tackle mostly. Uh, if you remember, Gerald Mincy was the starter at left tackle last year. Jeremiah Crawford started quite a bit there. They sort of split time at left tackle. Um, most of the way through spring, what we've seen is Gerald Mincy moving to the right side. John Campbell, the Miami transfer, being in the left side. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Mincy likes that or not. I mean, Darnell Wright, their last right tackle, maybe a first-round draft pick, so you can – you can you can make things work on the right side, but that's what I'm curious to see when when they leave if they have those two tackle positions solidified, uh, because those are g- going to be pretty important. They want to run the ball as well as they did last year, and they need to be able to, to uh, protect Joe Milton. So 
you've got to get chemistry started now and not be moving those guys around much when you get to fall camp. Well, I think it's interesting that Tennessee was able to get a tackle away from Miami. The way their booster, John Ruiz, is throwing around NIL money. I mean, uh, maybe he just got outbid. Either that or maybe Miami has another tackle and doesn't really need him. He probably came came to Knoxville with a with life wallet in hand, loaded on loaded on his phone. You spend any time any amount of time in Miami, uh, you you've got that life wallet locked locked in on your app screen. Uh, all right, Adam, we'll continue to have the coverage of spring football over at knoxnews.com, and and we'll be back next week to more extensively set the stage for Tennessee's spring game. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.